It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for taking time. We've come to the time where we're going to share from God's Word what the Bible says about several factors. Before I go into that, I want to just say you may be here today and you're not for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. I remember being like that. I remember sitting in a church service when I did not know for sure that my sins were forgiven. I didn't know for sure if I died that I would go to heaven. And it very much became the very best day of my life. I sat on the right side of the pastor over here toward the back there in that section. I remember listening. And while he was speaking on the outside, the Holy Spirit started talking to me on the inside and reminding me about my need for salvation, my need to have forgiveness of sin. And I'm very grateful for that. We're glad you're here. Many of you have already said yes, and you've accepted the gift of eternal life. Maybe there's some of you here today, you're in the balcony, or you're in the main floor, and you're not sure. Uh, I want this day to be a day where it's crystal clear for you how you can have eternal life. It starts with the scriptures. See, the Bible is given to us for two main reasons. Number one, to show us how to get to heaven from here. Number two, to show us how to live after we know number one. If you do not know the author of the book, you'll struggle understanding the Bible. But when we get saved, then we have its, the author living inside of us in his spirit, and he teaches us the Bible. The Bible is, begins with the book of Genesis, and it tells us how God started everything with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and how he made the worlds. At the end, it's the book of the Revelation. The Bible is one book with 66 books inside. The first 39, we call them the Old Testament books. They were written before Jesus came. The next half is the New Testament books. There's 27 books, and they're written after Jesus went back to heaven. And within the first hundred years of uh, the first century, all of the Bible was complete, Old Testament and New Testament. But the reason for the Bible is to show us how to be reconciled with God. Because all of us have something in common. We are all sinners. We all do things every day we shouldn't do. We think things we shouldn't think. We say things we shouldn't say. And that poses a problem for your eternal destiny. Because God wants you to live with him forever, but you cannot enter into his presence in your sin. And in my sin, it can't. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory, we miss the mark. It's like jumping across the Grand Canyon. doesn't matter if you have gold medals from the Japan Olympics. If you try to jump across the Grand Canyon, you're going to die. <laughs> if you try to go to heaven in your own righteousness or with a baptism certificate or doing catechism or, or doing communion, none of those things can give you eternal life. No, we have to accept the person of Jesus. Amen. Only Jesus died so you and I could live. And the Bible tells us how we can be reconciled to God through the person of Jesus Christ. And we're glad you're here today. If you're here and you're not sure about that, I don't want you to leave without letting someone take the Bible and show you three things you'll need to know and one thing you'll need to do to have eternal life. It's not hard to go to heaven. God is pulling for you to be there forever. And once you know, you know. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder, am I going to heaven or am I not? Am I going to have eternal life or am I not? The Bible tells us that, um, that, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He tells us that he gives us eternal life, and those who give eternal life shall never perish, shall never go to the lake of fire. They'll never die that second death, but have everlasting life. And if you're here today, you wonder about that, oh, please, don't keep wondering. You can know. You can know. We want you to know that. For those of you who have already put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are studying the book of Acts. And uh, the Bible is given to us, once again, in two parts, New Testament, Old Testament. The New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they all speak from their perspective under the Holy Spirit's inspiration about the person of Jesus. The book of Acts is the fifth book of our New Testament, and it's a history lesson. It's the history of the early church in the first several years of its existence. And we have been studying from chapter 1, and now today we're in chapter 13. Now, it's beautiful, and one thing we can learn from history is that we've not learned from history. But we need to learn how things started. God is very wise. In the Old Testament, he tells us the history of the Israelite people, the Jewish nation. In the New Testament, he tells us the history of the local church, his church. It started with Jesus. He was the foundation. He is the foundation of that. And then the apostles, those 12 men who followed him around, and God used them in a special way to found the next layer of the church. And then prophets, people who were gifted by God before we had a Bible in our hands that would tell people what God wanted to know. And then it followed up by pastors and evangelists and teachers who would teach us the Bible ongoing once we had the scriptures. Well, we want to learn a little bit about that. In Acts chapter 1, you'll find that Jesus goes up to heaven. In chapter 2, his spirit comes down from heaven and fills the people. In chapter 3, the people who are filled with God's spirit go out and tell other people about what Jesus Christ did for them. They share the gospel that he died, he was buried, and rose again. The church begins to grow, and they go through some growing pains. There is prayer, there is power, but there is persecution that comes onto the church. And they experience some challenges. Some from without. The community gives pressure to this new body of believers. Some from within. They had several of their people who were starting complaining and griping. They weren't happy with what was going on in the local church. And so the Lord began to deal with that. There became a need for generosity and giving from the local church and power and prayer and sacrifice that, that began to continue throughout the ministry that God gave these early Christians. The early Christians were mostly Jewish. They were men and women who were from the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. But now God is going to turn the page and he's going to make it possible and make his emphasis. What he always wanted from the very beginning was that the whole world would hear about Jesus. How many ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Would you raise your hand, David and Goliath? Even sportscasters, I heard someone say yesterday on a football game that uh, this, is the, this was going to be a David and Goliath uh, event here, but it turns out that David is as strong as Goliath. That's what he said on the radio, on the, uh, radio broadcast. But the truth of the matter is, David, whenever he took that stone in his hand and put in a sling, his, he asked his brother, when his brother accosted him and gave him a hard time, he said to Eliab, hey, is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason to stand up to this old foul mouth, cursing giant? Isn't there a cause? And when he was a few hours later standing in front of that loud mouth giant, he had rocks in his hand. He said this, 
that all the earth may know that there's a God. And God wants you to know. He wants everybody to know that the, the real God is the God of the Bible, and his son Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sin through him. He is the gift of eternal life for us. And so that is the propagation. They weren't concerned about building big buildings or getting a great organization. They weren't concerned about reputation. They knew they were going to be despised. Their Lord Jesus was despised. They were going to be despised. They understood it would not be a walk in the park to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, and it's still not a walk in the park. It's still challenging. and We're not doing all that hot of a job doing what we're doing around the corner, around the world, but we have a model here in the early church. And God is slowly but surely teaching his people, I love the whole world. He was teaching Peter that. He was teaching Paul that. One of the greatest adversaries of the early church was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. He came against the church. He persecuted the church. He, he, he caused any kind of trouble he could. He would get them arrested. He would arrest their pastors. He would arrest their people. He would find anybody who would say that they believed that Jesus was God's son, that he could pay for sin, and he would have them arrested. If he could, he'd get them executed. He was a very terrible man to the local church until he met Jesus, and then things changed. And now he has been several years away from the church, and the church has rest. The people are at rest now. They're, they have rest to make progress, and they keep spreading out. Now they have been in Jerusalem, and there is challenges in Jerusalem, but the God moves his, looks like his headquarters of operation from Jerusalem up to a place called Antioch. And in Antioch, uh, there's a guy named Barnabas. There's another man whose name is Lucius and Manan. And then also there's another, there's another fellow named Saul. They're all together. There's five men who are leaders in the church of Antioch. And they're there together. Saul had just been there a year with Barnabas. He said that at least three of them are prophetic in their, in their, their teaching. Barnabas seems to be a prophet. He's telling people what God says. And it looks like that the last one, Manan and, and Saul, are teachers. They're sharing uh, the, the things of God. They're unique. And let's look at this if we can, please. I think there's some things we can see in this early church that's over 2,000 years ago that can be very applicable to us here today. Let's look if we can, please. Chapter 13, verse number 1. Now, there were at the church that is at Antioch. I want you to notice this was a local church. You're at the First Baptist Church of Hammond. And uh, it's not the best church in the world. It's not certainly not the only church in the world. It's not the only church that has the truth. But it is the First Baptist Church of Hammond. And now God's telling us about, the, about a Baptist church and a Bible-believing church in Antioch. He said, now there is at the church of Antioch, at this particular church, there were five very gifted servants of Christ. I want you to notice who they are. The Bible says there were certain prophets, and then there were teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, which is called Niger. He was from North Africa, we believe. He could have been the same man who helped carry the cross of Jesus uh, there uh, in, in, in the, at the cross. Remember, remember a man being asked to carry the cross? He very well could have been. Some people believe he is the same one. We don't know that to be the case. But there were Barnabas, there's Simeon, and then we find there's another fellow named Lucius. Lucius, and he's from Cyrene. 
And then there's Manny, 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 excuse me, Manny, and he has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, probably not the Herod that tried to kill John, but he was a lesser leader there, but he was raised in the same, maybe even a stepbrother, some believes, but he was brought up in the same house or the same area, the same region with one of the rulers of that day. And then Saul has been brought over there. I want you to notice here something about the local church. And by the way, this is important for us to know. Number one, it was a local church. Number two, it was a gifted church. It was a church that had leaders, and, and these were very diverse. Saul of Tarsus, you couldn't put him uh, with Barnabas and say they're alike. They're not alike. They were just as polar opposite as you can imagine. One of them was raised with royalty to some extent. He was raised in the same home possibly as Herod. Another one was from Africa, North Africa. We have another one who's Lucius of Cyrene. They're from different places, and God has brought them to one church, the church at Antioch. And I want you to notice you have been put in a church where there are multiple different backgrounds. Years ago, we wrote a song for our annual theme, different people, different lives, different backgrounds to endure. We have different, different people that have other heartaches and difficulties to overcome. If you look in the auditorium, you'll see this morning, red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in his sight. We have people that are young, people that are old. We have people that, quite frankly, they could probably buy most of us here. There's other folks that can't even buy their lunch today. <laughs> we have different walks of life. And in this local church, there was that way. It was a five leaders who were there. There were prophets and teachers that were teaching in this church, gifted. By the way, you're gifted. You need to figure out how to get unwrapped for the Lord. God has given you gifts and strengths. He said, Pastor, I'm not much of a preacher. There's something you can do. Everybody has a job. I had two men of the day. We had a family that moved down to uh, southern Illinois, or Indiana, a little bit farther away from here. And they always spent the afternoon on Sunday, the first hour after church on Sunday afternoon, and they would vacuum and clean the restrooms and, and straighten the psalm books in the auditorium. And uh, they moved, and they're doing that in another church, I'm sure. They're faithful people, the Mesawis family. They finally said, you know, Pastor, we, we've been doing this for years since our kids were little. We wanted them to be involved in the work of the Lord, but we're moving, and we can't do that. I was so blessed. Two men approached me and said, Pastor, can we take that job? Can we, can we help with that? And there, this afternoon, when we, you leave, they're going to come, and they're going to do the same thing that little family did. A couple others are going to do You know what they're doing? They're saying, you know what? I've got a gift. I don't know what it is, but I'll get unwrapped. I talked to a man this morning over here. He said, Pastor, I, I get to retire next year. And he goes, I can't wait because I want to give my life to the Lord. He goes, Pastor, put me to work. If you want me to fix something, you want me to mop a floor, you want me to clean a bathroom, you want to do anything. When I am retired, I want to spend my time doing what God wants me to do. I've given many years of my life doing other things, but I want to be able to do it for free and do it for the Lord and enjoy serving God. You know what? Well, all of us have gifts. You have strengths. I have strengths. And we want to use them in the work of the Lord. We find this church was a local church. It was a gifted church. Let's look and see what happens, though, if you would, please. Verse number two. And they did what? They ministered unto the Lord. It was a serving church. These five men and the church, they worked. They gave to the church. They, they served the Lord. By the way, everybody ought to find something to do for God. Right, Every saint ought to be a servant. Every member ought to be a minister. 
Everybody ought to find something to do. Don't just get to the place where you just come and sit and soak. We ought to come, sit, soak to serve. And to find a role in which we can, we can do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that this church not only was a local church, it was a gifted church and a diverse church. By the way, I wouldn't want to have it any other way. I think every church ought to reflect the community in which it lives. And whatever the community is, certainly we ought to have a microcosm of everything in our community. It was a, it was a diverse church. It was a gifted church. But also it was a serving church. Everybody found themselves doing something. They ministered. And by the way, you don't minister for the church. You don't minister to the church. You don't do things for the pastor or for the deacons. Everything we do, we do for the Lord. This morning, after the end of the service, we'll have an opportunity to give to the Lord. And if you're a guest, we don't expect that. But those of us who call First Baptist Church our home, every week we want to give something to the Lord. But I despise when someone says, well, I gave this to the church. You don't give to the church, you give to the Lord. That's like giving your rent to the post office. You don't give your rent to the post office, you give it through the post office. And the Bible says, bring your gifts to the Lord at his house. It's where God tells you to drop it off at. So he wants us to do. But you know when you serve the Lord, don't. If you serve the Lord for people, you're going to get your feelings hurt real bad. When you're expecting a, a pat in the back, you're going to get a kick in the pants. You're going to get disappointed. But when you serve the Lord, you're going to find that there's great fulfillment in that. Amen. One of the things I love about discipleship, and if you haven't taken discipleship, I want you to do it. I was speaking to a young pastor just uh, this week, and he said, Pastor, I've got a lot of people that have gotten saved, but they're just struggling to be faithful to the Lord. I tell him, you know, he said, I don't understand it. We've got really a good building, and I've got a good pastor and good music. We've got clean nurseries for the kids. We've got programs for the children. But they're still just, they're not very faithful. And I ask him this, have you helped them grow in discipleship? Have you taken them to the scriptures and going, you know, no, that's something I've thought about, but I haven't done it yet. Now, it's not a cure-all, but one thing I love about going to the Bible is that the Bible is the Lord. The Word is Jesus. And when you get in the Bible, you're going to get a fast track to your attention with Jesus. And you know what? You don't want to serve God for anyone less than Jesus. He's the one who's going to reward you. He's the one that you're going to be judged by. You won't be judged by me, and I'm not going to be judged by you. We're going to be judged by the Lord. And the Bible says that these, this church, they were local, they were diverse, they were gifted, and they were ministering. And they weren't ministering so much to the church, they were ministering to the Lord. I want to encourage you to challenge yourself. What are you doing for the Lord? Are you giving out gospel tracts for the Lord? I oftentimes joke around, but I say, you know, who gives out gospel tracts? The people that have them. <laughs> if you have them, you'll give them out. Are you, are, you, are you being gracious to your neighbors and the people you work with, remembering that you are a reflection of the Lord? Are you driving in our community as a reflection of the Lord? Would people be frustrated with the way you drive and the way you conduct yourself and the anger that comes out of you when something doesn't happen the way you want at the restaurant or someplace? Hey, listen, it's not about you. It's about him. He said they ministered to the Lord. It was a serving church. And I want you to notice the next one. Would you please? The Bible says in verse number two, and they ministered to the Lord. And what's the next word? Fasted. 
I don't know about you, but that is not my favorite discipline of the Christian life. I like to eat. When I think about taking a meal or taking a day or taking a couple days and not eating, my flesh rebels against that. Because I'm used when I'm hungry, uh, I put something in my pie hole. (laughs) I'm hungry, I take care of me. But here it says this church not only served the Lord, but they fasted. They, they afflicted their soul. You say, your soul, what's your soul? Your soul is how you think, it's how you feel, and what you want. And they told the soul, sit down and get your attention on spiritual things. You know, this is something that is very foreign. Many people have never fasted. People who have been saved and been saved for years who do not refrain. I think there are other things you can fast from. I think some, certainly the Bible does not tell us here how extended long the fasting was. It might have been a meal. It might have been a day. It might have been not only, uh, maybe it's been food, but maybe it has been, it's been other things. I think some of us need to fast and go dark on our, on our social media. You're so used to checking that all the time. If you didn't have to check it, you'd be, <laughs> you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Just Take off. There's, there's some things that, that you're, 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 your soul, your thinking, your feeling, your desires pull you to. Maybe you ought to say, you know what, I'm going to fast from that. That I might be a little bit more sensitive to those. You know, one of the things about fasting, it's very needful to break heavy chains. Some of us, we're bound with addictions. One thing that can help you with that is fasting. There's some of us, we have perverted minds. And a fasting would take some of that away from you. It would make you more sensitive to spiritual domain. Because you are made up of a body and a soul and a spirit. God wants his spirit to control our soul and our soul controls our body. However, most of us, if we're not careful, we put the spirit of God in a closet somewhere and we let our soul decide what happens in our life. And we're soul-led Christians because we're not spiritual Christians. We handle things in a fleshly way because we're not spiritually minded. And one thing that can help us with that sometimes is taking times for prayer and for fasting. We're in the month of November here. If you look on your bulletin, you'll see it is an emphasis committed to prayer. Next week, we'll have Brother Tom Williams speak for us on Sunday morning, Sunday night. A man that has given his life for hours and hours of prayer and teaching the church to pray. I'm looking forward to it. I need it. If someone preaches on prayer, I know I need to respond to it. Because it's a weakness in my life. It's not something I do. Fasting is not my strength. Though I do that from periodic times and I don't like to do it. It My flesh doesn't like it. I do like the byproduct of it, though. Because what happens when the people learn to pray and fast The Spirit of God gets louder in our ears. He has more liberty in our life. So many of us, we don't know. We can't hear the voice of God. He's speaking, but we don't hear. But you'll see in just a few moments, right here in this passage of Scripture, fasting. Let me just tell you a couple things, and we'll talk about this a little bit tonight. But prayer needs to be a priority in our life. And fasting needs to come in to play there. We'll talk a little bit about that this evening in the service to follow. If you can only come tonight or this morning, I would suggest you come tonight to the service. But we're going to talk a little bit about fasting. 
a little bit about prayer, some strategies of prayer, some strategies of fasting. But I want you to notice that just for the sake of this, of this passage of Scripture, we see that it was a local church, it was a diverse church, it was a gifted church, and it was a serving church. But look at what please at verse number 2. And they ministered to the Lord, well, while they ministered, and they fasted. Notice who came in to few there. What's the next words in your Bible? The Holy Ghost. What did the Holy Ghost do? It said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Two of the most gifted men in this local church, the Spirit of God decided, you can't stay here. I need to get you set apart to go someplace else. Now, as a pastor, that's challenging. Because I want to keep everybody here, and let's just be one big happy family. All of us, all the way. But the truth of the matter is, the Holy Spirit doesn't have that. God is proactive, and he's progressive. He is trying to get the gospel where? Just to Hammond? Just to Chicago? To everywhere. To do that, it takes men, materials, money, and media. But the first tool God has always used before there was ever a cell phone or a website was men. People. God has a goal and he wants everybody to get the gospel. And when people are understand they're a local church, they're a gifted church, they're diverse, they're serving, they're fasting to the Lord, they're spiritual people, the Holy Spirit will occasionally say, you can't stay here. We need these men to do something else. We have one of our finest people in our church. Last week, they became a pastor of a church in Cicero. And they are preaching there today. I called him today and I prayed with him. One of our finest servants of Christ, uh, this church, I, I have seen in eight and a half years of being here, is Brother Mark and Priscilla Duff. Their precious mom and dad are over here this morning. Boy, I, I cried. I, I was torn up of anyone to leave. Boy, he was such a blessing to this church. But I am, I'll tell you this. The Holy Spirit was very loud when he said he needs to go. They need, there's a place for them. Ted Spear, Elizabeth Spear, some of the finest people in this church family. One day God says, Ted, Elizabeth, I need you to go to Ghana. And I need you to serve over there. And the world has been so blessed by that. Brother Randy DeMoville and his lovely wife Kelly, serving here in this ministry, being used of God in a great way. No, Philippines is where you need to be. God moves people in a church that is serving, that's gifted, that's sensitive, that's fasting, the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that they sent, they laid their hands on them, and they obeyed the Holy Spirit of God. We'll continue this thought this evening. But I want to encourage you, you know what the church is? The church is not a building, it's you, and it's me. You know, a good day in a church is when everybody's on the same page with the Holy Spirit of God. When everybody understands this is a local church, it's a diverse church, it's a gifted church, it has leadership, and we need to follow, we need to love and encourage it. It's a church that's spiritual, it's serving, and let the Holy Spirit, you know who, who puts the pastor in the church? The Holy Spirit. 
You know who put you in this church? You didn't come here by yourself. God put you here. You need to find out what did God wants you to do. What does he want you to do? But, but I will say this. One of the things that we struggle with sometimes is letting people go. You know, this church, rather than argue with the Holy Spirit, they said, well, we'll help them. Let's pray over them. And let's send them away. And you know the reason you got saved today is because these two missionaries and a local church sent out Paul and Barnabas, two people that would go to the Gentile world. Most of us are Gentiles. And most of us got saved because somebody else sacrificed and obeyed the Spirit of God. And we need to keep it going.